All right, so this morning as we continue um, sort of this biblical counseling overview, we'll be looking at the topic of uh, keys to preserving and strengthening your marriage. <clears throat> keys to preserving and strengthening your marriage. Um, and if you look on your handout there, you'll see that uh, that first point there, what is the one key to keeping a marriage strong? Um, and it starts by saying uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the key to keeping a strong marriage. The gospel of Christ is the key to keeping a strong marriage. So just to, to, to throw this out, um, how do you think the gospel informs marriage? We'll, we'll start there. I mean, the gospel inform, informs all, all, all of our relationships in different ways, and there's a lot of overlap there. If you just think about relationships as a whole, how does the gospel inform them? Uh, we're the church as the bride of Christ. Yep, yep. the church as, as the bride of Christ and what that says about a husband and a wife. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Amen. What else, Anna? Um, a few things came to mind, but one was just that I think the world sees a lot of times each other as like the ultimate, hmm. and this person is going to make me happy. Um, but the biblical view is that you know we are bought and owned by Christ. Right. He is our ultimate, and so in light of that, there's not this expectation of the other person making me. Happy, but you know, Christ is ours, and so then we can enjoy the gift of marriage. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, having a right expectation um, for what your spouse is to be, right? So, when we, when we make our spouses uh, more than what they ought to be, and it becomes sort of a disproportionate um, uh, affection, then there is that, that, that danger at times of um, making something that's good and a blessing um, and, and idle, but in its proper place, it is to be enjoyed fully and freely in Christ. But God hasn't given man and woman to each other in marriage to be the ultimate fulfillment, but something that points to him. Yeah, good point. What else? Um, Alex? Yeah, uh, God brings his spouse into our lives as it um, uses it, uses it um, in the process of sanctification. Yeah. Yep. To get us to be more like Christ. Right. Yep. So the aspect of sanctification of marriage is uh, so, sometimes a back burner thought for us, but it is something that, um, as God does in all of our relationships, he does so in marriage as well. As he's working, all things together for our good, as it says in scripture that the will of God is our sanctification. Um, that happens in marriage as well. And the Lord uses yep, our spouses to sanctify us and us to sanctify our spouses and believers to sanctify one another in that way. Yep. What else? Anything else come to mind? I'd like to talk, but I don't have a whole lot of experience. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Go for it, sister. I would just say biblically and what I've observed is um, Christ is, um, excuse me, I'm trying to gain my composure because I feel bad about sharing anything. No, you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's relationships, too. So um, to remember that the Bible says 
that a woman was made to be a helper of men, yeah. not vice versa. Yeah. And I've seen those roles reversed in mm. experience where the woman thinks that the man should serve her and mm. be around her stuff instead of her being around his stuff yeah. <laughs> and being a helpmate. Yep. Oh, that's yeah. good. So yep. That's just observance. I <laughs> it's good and it's, it's helpful yep what else anything else that is uh, is very true and the one of the destructive philosophies of this age is the, the is feminism and how that seeks to um, invert God's good design yeah but then it's so easy to to overreact to it, you know, and um, fall in the other ditch <laughs> yeah. of uh, of overemphasizing the the headship of the husband and how the the wife is made to uh, as a helper for the husband and overemphasizing that to the to the detriment of the other calls of the gospel to love your wife and to um, to honor her as a fellow heir um, of the gospel and um, it's easy to fall into um, ditches yeah and the the wife uh, marriage is such a, a powerful tool of sanctification because you can't hide anything Hmm. You can hide it for a little bit, but it's it's uh, you can only hide something from so long from somebody that you're going to bed with every night. Yeah. So. Yep. It's uh, it'll eventually be found out. So it's a good and faithful tool of the Lord. Yeah. Because He says in Proverbs that uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Yep. Kim, you had a thought? I don't know. Are, you, are we running short on time? No. Um, I was just, no, yeah. Um, I was just like, it's just an opening question. Um, mm -hmm. I was saying, like, in light of it, I don't know if a blueprint is the right word, but, like, mm. you know, our marriage is supposed to mirror. Um, yep. I'm like, I, I don't know exactly how to word that, but I would say in, in what it's supposed to be and then what it's not supposed to be. Right. And then also with, like, conflict resolution like um, the way Christians handle disputes is different than the world handles with disputes and thankfully it's because we have scripture and we yeah, have amen. Um, and then the Lord helps us with those things as well yeah yep and I think that that is the key I mean you mentioned um, what marriage the, the, the blueprint there you said what, what marriage is pointing to um, and I think about you, you see in your handout there Ephesians 4.32 Speaking about marriage, Paul says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to the blueprint, Christ and the church. So marriage is pointing to something other than itself. It's pointing to something greater than itself. It's modeled after something that came before it. Um, and you even see that in the Old Testament as well, in Isaiah 54, 5. <clears throat> and so, both the Old and the New Testament portrays the Lord's relationship with us as, as a marriage. 
to those whom he has chosen for himself. Um, and then number two there, you must first know the love of Christ. Now, when we think about the gospel in marriage, knowing I mean, that's really the point of it, we must first know the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we look at, someone go to 1 John four nineteen. Who wants that? Okay, go for it. <laughs> Right, we love him because he first loved us. <laughs> um, and then Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us, that same principle, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So our love for one another in marriage is informed even by, by something else. Um, and it's... We'll talk about this a little bit, even more, and even next week. So this week, we'll just sort of lay out how the gospel informs marriage. And next week, we'll talk about some of the practical implications of that when it comes to communication and, and other stuff. But our, our love for one another, it's not a, a quid pro quo, right? You do that, then I'll do this. If you don't do that, then, then I won't do this. It's not 50-50. Um, um, it's really 100-100, both uh, parties in the covenant giving themselves fully to one another um, not not as a as a checklist even but out of the love that they have received from Christ um, they give out of that love so that puts our love for one another in a completely different category because if your relationship with a person I'm talking about marriage specifically uh, if your relationship to your spouse is based upon how they make you feel that day or how how kind you feel that they've been um you would never consistently (laughs) love your spouse um but when it's based out of something else when it's god's kindness to me in christ and that is sort of the the flood that i give to my spouse then it's not even primarily about the spouse it's about god's love for you in christ and that feeds your love for your spouse um, which is the basis of covenant-keeping love in marriage. Um, number three there, the best thing you can do for your marriage is for you to grow closer to Jesus, right? So <clears throat> we shouldn't be focusing on the other person in marriage and saying, well, you didn't do this, and you never do that. Those terms, by the way, are just terms you never want to use. <laughs> no pun intended. right you never you always every time that destroys communication faster than than anything because it puts the person in a defensive uh, stance because you're you're basically discrediting any kind of kindness that they've shown you or any love that they've shown you by just putting it in the trash by saying you never but the best thing for you to do in marriage is to focus on your own relationship with Christ um, prioritize your own soul's care. So someone go to Psalm 1, 1 through 5. Psalm 1, and then whoever gets there first, just feel free to say, I got it, and then read it. I got it. Okay, thank you. Okay. <clears throat> 
right, thank you. So something to remember, even when we're not talking to our spouses, um, we can always be in conversation with God. So we point to Psalm 1, because Psalm 1, <clears throat> when it says this man, he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Um, in the Hebrew, that word meditate means he mutters. He, um, he whispers to himself about the law of the Lord. He's literally talking to himself about the law of God. Um, it's, uh, he's constantly watering his own soul with the wisdom of scripture. Um, so that when he does, or she does speak to her spouse, um, or, or he speaks to his spouse, his, his thoughts, his soul has been watered with the word so that what comes out of his mouth is the fruit of a heart that's been sort of um, drenched in, in, in the scripture and God's words and God's ways. Uh, we want to remind ourselves of the benefits of union with Christ. So this is all, this is, yes, this is conversation happening between spouses, but this is also, uh, even more than that, this is internal dialogue that's happening within the person, within the wife, within the husband. Um, what has Christ, um, uh, what has God done for me in Christ? Remember in Psalm 103, um, Ephesians 5, um, 1 John 4, what, what has God done for me in Christ? How, he, how has he forgiven me? He redeems my life from the pit. He restores my soul. Um, all of these things is us preaching the gospel to ourselves, um, which hopefully flows out to our spouses. Um, the next point there, study God's word and meditate upon the greatness of Christ's love for you. So that, that same principle there. <clears throat> and again, Ephesians 4.19, he first loved us. Um, <clears throat> and then five, pray the prayer which Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3. 14 to 19. Now, I don't know if you guys are fans of writing in your Bibles or not, but I write in my Bible. Um, and around these verses, I have bracketed prayer. Um, if you want to pray biblical prayers, open up scripture, find prayers, and pray them. Pray them for your spouse. Pray them for yourself. Pray them for, for your friends. Pray them for the church. But Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 19, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is an a inspired prayer for you to pray for <clears throat> yourself, your friends, your family, your spouse. Okay? These things root us in, in the gospel as we think about marriage. Okay, jump down to, to B. Um, Christ-like love is founded upon grace, not law. Christ-like love is founded upon grace, not law. And I'll explain what that means as we walk through these, these uh, points. So number one under that point, most human relationships are implicitly governed by law. Do this or I withhold my love. Do this or I will withhold respect. Right? Again, it's a quid pro quo type of relationship. Um, if you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do this, then I won't do that. 
Um, as I said before, that's not what marriage should, should look like. It's not a um, sort of give and take, tit for tat. It's both parties all in and keeping covenant, keeping love. Um, the, the husband owes to his wife love, um, as we see in Ephesians 5. The wife owes to her husband respect, as we see in Ephesians 5. Uh, I, I, I put it like this. God has given um, men and women, I, I got this from, from somewhere, but he's given men and women a, a gasoline to run on. Um, for the men, they run on respect. And when I say this, I'm, I'm saying all things equal. I'm not talking about abuses. I'm not talking about um, uh, distortions. I'm talking about um, what we see in scripture as uh, what is given to the man and what's given to, to, to the woman. Men, men run on respect, women run on love. It's interesting that if there's an argument, and this isn't every time, but just, you know, if, if there's an argument, the argument can be on the same point, but both spouses walk away feeling two different ways. The husband walks away feeling disrespected. The wife walks away feeling like he's not showing love to me, right? And it can be on the same issue. That, that's not always the case, but you do find that to be the case much of the time uh, because I think the Lord has built into us um, different sort of gasoline that we run on, if, if I can put it that way. <clears throat> Add to it. The, um, is, uh, I heard a similar thing from uh, this, uh, Dr. Emerson Egelrich. Okay. Who is on, he has a, a Bible study called uh, Love and Respect. Okay. And it's based on Ephesians 5.33, which is what you just quoted. Um, it talks about how the, the men and women run on two different paradigms. Hmm. And he, descri- he describes it in a very colorful way. It's that the uh, that men uh, listen through uh, blue hearing aids, that they speak through a blue megaphone, that they see through blue sunglasses. <laughs> okay. And women, they listen through pink hearing aids. They look through pink sunglasses, and they speak through a pink megaphone. Somebody's like, why does it have to be pink? <laughs> <laughs> I heard it. I sensed it in the air. <laughs> but uh, color notwithstanding. <laughs> yes. I know you have to have all these qualifications. <laughs> but yeah. No, the but you know, it's it's very it's very true. And um but the, an interesting dynamic that he brings out with that is that often the two paradigms conflict hmm. in that when sometimes the, when um, a woman tries to act in what she sees to be a very loving response to the husband, it can come across to the husband as very disrespectful <clears throat> and vice versa. Yeah. The husband can, like for instance, the husband, to be respectful, he doesn't want to get into a fight. And, you know, um, and so one of the ways that he does that is because he wants to honor the wife and not get into a fight where they're not hurt her. He'll become, uh, he'll give her the cold shoulder 
he'll walk away, do things like that. You know, mm. of course, the cold shoulder can be other things. But sure. one of the ways to not to try to honor her and not hurt her is he walks away to cool off, huh. do all these things. The problem is, is that be, that can, that gets, can get interpreted as a very unloving thing to do from by the wife. Yeah. So the, the two paradigms can often conflict with one another. Yeah. We got to be, be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's a good point. Um, and I'll say this and then we'll sort of jump back to the, to the point here. I didn't mean to take us on a tangent, but um, we can want to give each other the thing that we desire in hopes that it'll function the same way for the other person. Right? So the husband will want respect, so he does something out of, in his mind, he's thinking love, but he's defaulting to respect because that's what he desires. The husband, the wife will give her husband um, uh, uh, what, what she feels she wants, which is love, but he's really wanting respect. So it, it yeah, that, that's a great point. It does, it goes both ways there. Okay, so we're thinking about um, uh, marriage, not, not law, but grace. Point two there um, on page 22, if you, if you have that. It says, this is not how God has dwelt with, with you. So when we think about our relationship to God, uh, he does not deal with us um, according to our iniquity. It says in Psalm 32, 2, um, uh, blesses the man against whom the, the Lord counts no iniquity. There is iniquity he could count, but he does not count it against us because of the work he's done in Christ on our behalf. Um, he does not deal with us according to our sin. It says in Psalm 103.10. So God doesn't deal with us on a basis of um, relationally and love on a basis of law, but on the basis of grace. That's the whole premise of the gospel. Um, and so we're called to deal with each other in the same way on the basis of grace, not law. Uh, point three, uh, you are re remembering that you yourself, you are the chief of uh, sinners who has uh, been shown great mercy. So 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul sees himself as the greatest of, of sinners. He says, I am the chief of sinners. And when you think, how does a, who's the most sinful person that you know? If you think about somebody that's not yourself, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> because you're the most sinful person that you know. I'm the most sinful person that I know because I know myself. I'm with myself. I know my thoughts. I know my heart. Um, I know the ways in which my affections stray. I'm the most sinful person I know. So that should inform us when we come to one another in conversation and thought, um, not assuming that you are better than the person you're talking to or, or your spouse, but realizing that you are the greatest sinner you know. Number four, self-righteousness, and number three sort of bleeds into number four, self-righteousness is delusional and destructive. It's delusional and destructive. Someone read James 4, 11 to 12. Again. Okay, go, ahead, go for it. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother uh, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He, uh, oh, there, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. 
but who are you to judge your neighbor? All right. <clears throat> so again, it's getting at here, at least one, one principle to keep an eye on is a self-righteousness. And uh, point four says self-righteousness is delusional and destructive. Um, it's, it's deceitful. The point of a delusion is that you don't realize that you're being um, deceived. You don't realize that you're in the, the delusion. It's like walking into those carnivals where they have the glass mirrors everywhere um, and you, you know, trying to figure out which one is, is, is you. It's, it's deceitful because you don't realize that you're being deceived. Um, and so self-righteousness is delusional and destructive and it's deceitful. Um, Ecclesiastes 7.20, just thinking about the fact that we are all great sinners, it says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And the verse 21, just because I love that verse, it says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Verse 22, for your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Again, that, that same principle there, don't, don't forget your own sinful ways. Remember the gospel and how it informs those things, but don't forget that you are, you are a sinner in need of great mercy, because that really does inform how we think about each other and how we converse with each other in marriage relationships. Okay, uh, number five there, you married a fellow sinner and should not be shocked when he or she sins. <laughs> this is probably obvious, but it's true. Sometimes when our spouse or friend or, you know, sins against us, um, we're just blown away by the fact that a sinner sinned. Um, that's, it, it's, it's not wise to have in, in our minds a category for a person that says they could never do this because if it weren't for the grace of God, all of us would be into all types of um, things that are worse than where we are now. But God shows mercy to us. Um, and so, again, don't be shocked when your spouse sins. <laughs> Number six, as you remember God's grace to you, restore and forgive your spouse. Uh, someone go to Proverbs 19.11, and then someone else. Who, who wants Proverbs 19.11? Anna. And then someone else go to Colossians 3.12-14. Miriam? Okay. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Man, that proverb, that verse is just, it's almost, it, it doesn't even have a category in a lot of the conversations that are happening, even in the Christian context. But it, it, it's his glory to overlook an offense. Um, and it is his glory to overlook an offense because it points to the way that God has dealt with his sin in Christ. We know that God doesn't overlook sin, but he deals with it. But this is, when, when we forgive one another, we're actually displaying fruit. We're, we're displaying spiritual fruit and in, in forgiveness. We get the opportunity to look like Christ in that. Um, and then Colossians 3. Just as the Lord forgave you, 
Okay, so the same principle here. You've been forgiven, forgive. Love has been shown to you, show love. Um, so we ought to be quick to forgive one another. Now I recognize that in relationships and in a marriage, that's not always easy. It's never really easy. Um, we're getting better at it, but it, it can be a struggle at times to forgive. When, when you're hurt, your spouse becomes the enemy. You, you can villainize them in your mind and you say, he did that because he was trying to do this, or she did that because she was trying to do this. So we sort of put ourselves on the throne. Now we can now peer into one's heart and know exactly why they did what they did. But all of that happens in the midst of an argument, in the midst of confrontation. Um, we tend to um, sort of, if the throne is there, the almighty and wise throne, we tend to back up and sit in that place as we have confrontation with one another by presuming each other's motives and assuming we know exactly what a person meant when they said this, um, or just choosing to hold against them something that they've maybe done in the past or something that we actually haven't forgiven, um, but we sort of just put it in a shelf and uh, it's like that junk drawer in the kitchen. You, you, you reach for that thing and you, you know, it, you, you, you take their sins, throw it in that shelf, and then when something happens, you say, no, but you did this. Remember you did that, right? That, that's, that's not forgiveness. That is uh, just really, it's actually storing up um, that person's sins to use against them. Um, it's not um, uh, what, what God does for us. Okay, seven. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. We've sort of already talked about this, but um, God's kindness to us informs how we interact with our spouse, right? Okay, let's go to C. Keep fighting for love. Now, I'm going to go through these, and um, I'll leave some time at the end for us to talk or you to ask questions. Uh, keep fighting for love. Walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 to 24. Sabrina, you got that memorized? <laughs> Who wants to read um, Galatians 5, 16 to 24 for us? Alex, go for it. I'm working on memorizing. <laughs> I don't want to botch it. So. Uh, but I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, <coughs> enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarn you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, thank you. So this is another... Um passage of scripture to go to to pray for your own heart or your spouse um, just walk through you know these verses <clears throat> Lord help me to 
walk by the spirit. Um, help me to put off this, 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 and this. Help me to put on these things, uh, love, joy, peace, patience. Right, so we can turn this into a prayer and it'd be something that just open the scripture, go to Ephesians 5 or Galatians 5 and just pray what you see there. These are inspired prayers that are answered always <laughs> uh, because of Christ. So um, having this on our minds, am I walking by the spirit? Um, am I acting in uh, strife? Is there, is there jealousy in, in my heart? Um, uh, am I being a dissentious person? Was that response patient? Was, it, uh, was I showing kindness in that? Am I being gentle right now? And so these are sort of the, the elementary truths of scripture, but we can sometimes overlook them in the heat of frustration or an argument or whatever it is. But um, it's good for us to have this as a category. Galatians 5, let me go there because my heart needs a wheel alignment. I'm, I'm off and I need something to put me back on the right track. Um, two, under keep fighting for love. You are in a spiritual battle. Now this is, as Christians with, with all things, um, as we are here on earth, pilgrims in this foreign land, we are always in a spiritual battle. Um, when you're driving to church, you're in a spiritual battle. You're coming into uh, a spiritual battle um, in which there are always um, principalities and wickedness in high places seeking to confuse and distort um, and doing everything to distract your attention away from your triune God. But thinking specifically here about marriage, um, you've probably heard this before and I think it's true, uh, Satan is working against in his schemes and devices and traps and snares good, right, biblical marriage. Um, and we see it in the culture, but look for it in your own hearts. Um, I think about uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church and says, this man has his uh, father's wife uh, put him out of the church. In 2 Corinthians, at the beginning of that letter, he says, welcome him back. Um, he says, forgive him, for you do not want to be outwitted by Satan's schemes. So Paul there connects unforgiveness with satanic activity. And that's not usually what we think about when we think about satanic activity, but unforgiveness can be in that category. But just be mindful that you are in a spiritual battle. Again, uh, Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's constantly this, this tug, um, and marriage, and love, uh, and respect, and gentleness, and kindness, and patience. These things don't just come um, naturally to us, but they have to be something that's wrought by the spirit, uh, and it takes effort. <clears throat> uh, three underneath keep fighting for love your spouse cannot make you fleshly right we have a choice right so when our spouses say something or when they offend us when they offend us when they you know shoot a look or have a disposition or say something and we see it we sense it we feel it um, it doesn't make us say 
you know, whatever to them and start yelling at them or to give them a cold shoulder. No one can make you sin. Um, we are held responsible for our own actions. Um, and so we can still respond in kindness even when we're offended and hurt. Um, we can still respond in love. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is uncommon to man, but in all these things, God has given a way of escape. Um, our only option um, in marriage, even when we're offended, is not sin. We have the option to actually bear fruit, forgive, and show covenant love to one another. All right, we got about five, five minutes left. Um, I think you... There's another three points there on your on your handout. You can look at those those verses as well. Um, God, our covenant love endures. God loves us with an eternal and unchanging love. So his love is not fickle. It's immutable. Our love is immutable. uh, But uh, we can look to Christ as as an example of loving in hard seasons Um, and Christ. Uh, love described in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Remember the, uh, the great love passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. Um, but I'm going to stop there. Look at those verses. Consider those points. I just want to open it up now for questions or, or comments. That's your takeaway. Questions? Alex? What was the verse when you said unforgiveness is connected to sin? To oh. Yes. And then that, that connected with um, what Paul wrote in the first letter in 1 Corinthians 1. Number four, Ecclesiastes seven twenty. Any other thoughts, questions, encouragements? Um, I was just thinking it is so easy when I feel hurt to 
It's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, keep up the good fight, sister. Your marriage is an encouragement. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, all right. Well, with that, I'll pray. Um, Next week, we'll build on this by looking at the way these principles inform specific things like communication and long-suffering, and even certain um, situations we'll sort of talk through, okay? So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of marriage. Um, You've given this uh, for men to enjoy. Just I think, think about even Ecclesiastes, which says that there are certain things that you have given all men uh, to be able to enjoy, um, and marriage is, is one of those things. And we thank you um, for the blessing of marriage in Christ and how that reality points to the greater reality of Christ in the church. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would keep us close to your word, keep us tethered to your word. When our hearts and minds and affections went astray, Lord, lasso us to the word. Don't, don't let us get too far. Um, help us to hold one another accountable with warnings and cautions and encouragements and joys. Um, and uh, sanctify us, Lord, as you um, glorify yourself in our marriages. Um, bless this church. Uh, bless the, the, the relationships and, and the, the couples, the married couples of this church, that we would do well to honor you in our relationships, uh, bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. And we pray these things through the name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.